And I'm genuinely, genuinely, not just saying that I know it's tradition to say I'm excited, but I'm genuinely excited about being here today. And I'm so privileged uh, to be here. Terrified, if I'm honest, knowing Pastor uh, Tony, I'm such a beast. That's a, good, that's a good expression. I think that's, that's something positive. Um, he's such a blessing. He's, he's like, like a, a father in the faith, definitely. A man that I look up to very gifted, as you guys know. Um, so I'm, 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 I feel very privileged to be here. Um, and I'm going to stop waffling. I'm going to pray. And then we can begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are God alone. That there is no other God. Lord, that you are the creator of all things. And Lord, that you have shown us your extravagant love by sending your precious Son, Jesus, to this earth to live a perfect life, die a gruesome death, shed his blood for us, for all who have put their faith and trust in him, that we may be forgiven. Lord, we thank you that we start today being reminded that you are a good God, that you are a loving God. And Father, I'm very aware of my weakness, of my inability to stand or speak. And so Lord, I pray for your strength, I pray for your enabling, Lord, I pray that you would help me, Lord, as I Try to share your word with my brothers and sisters. Please be glorified in all that takes place this morning, this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Bless you guys. So, I was um, watching, I was on BBC iPlayer um, about a week ago. Bible, you know, hand the Bible down. Praise God, thank you. Um, and uh, I come across this documentary. I mean, actually, I should have gone to college, I should have been studying, but I was, I was on BBC iPlayer. And this documentary came on called Man on Wire. And it's about this guy, as you may tell from the title, he was a tightrope walker, a guy called uh, Philippe Petit, or Philippe Petit, depending on whether you can speak French or not. And um, he, 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 kind of, he had some original footage in the film, um, in, in the documentary of him walking on this tightrope, he's about 15 feet high across this meadow, and you watch it, and this guy is amazing. I mean, I struggle to walk straight on the floor, let alone a wire, and this guy is so focused and so driven, and you're, you know, thinking he's 15 feet in the air, no net, this is amazing, but there's grass, so it wasn't, wasn't that, that difficult. Then he goes on to talk about um, his, his desire to, to obviously want to do bigger and better things. So he goes, he decides he's going to go from the meadow, 15 feet high, he's going to go to France. I don't know if you've been to France, there's a, 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 a cathedral called Notre Dame, or Notre Dame, and um, it's 226 feet high. He puts a, a cable between the two steeples and then begins to walk across. Can you imagine walking to work uh, one morning, eating your freshly baked croissant, and you look up in the sky and this guy looks like he's literally walking um, in, in midair. Um, amazing, insane, because once again he had no net, 226 feet in the air. He then decides what he wants to go to Sydney, he wants to go even better, Sydney Harbour Bridge. And uh, I'm not sure how high that is, but it's, once again, it's, it's higher again, it's the next step up. Does the same thing there, comes down, gets arrested, obviously, because he thinks it's he illegal, he's, 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 everything's ground to a halt. Then one day, he's sitting in a dentist's surgery, and he's reading through the magazine, and um, he notices uh, an art, artist sketch of these two towers that are not yet built, that are going to be built in the States. Two towers that are no longer there, but at this time they hadn't even been built yet. And that's the Twin Towers. So you know, most of us would think, oh, that's interesting. But this guy, he said, that at that moment, it's, 
uh, a passion and obsession was born. He was excited at the thought of walking between these two towers on a wire. So I'm watching this program and I'm thinking, this surely, this is going to be one of those shows that shows you, you know, this guy was insane and he doesn't actually do what he, what he sets out to do. But anyway, six years goes past and he's, all he can think about, all he's driven towards now is the thought of this wire being between these two towers and him walking from one tower to the next. And as the, as the thing's going on, I'm thinking, not even how's he going to do it, but how's, how's he going to stretch these two wires between the towers? You know, it's like 1,368 feet high. And I think it's like 120 feet across. How's he going to do this? I mean, simple but an ingenious plan. So two of them go up one tower. I'm, I'm trying to cut it a bit short because there's a lot more to it. Two of them go up another tower. They hide there for, for many, many hours until it's dark. Everybody's gone home. How, how would you think he's going to get the wire across the other side? Well, this is how he, how he, do, how he does it, quite simply. They, they've got walk, uh, walkie-talkies. One of his friends fancies himself as a bit of a Robin Hood. So he's got a bow and arrow. And he shoots across. I mean, if I didn't see it myself. I, I, I think it was just a, 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 a tall story. Shoots. is tied to uh, a fishing line. Shoots it across the other side. But obviously it's in the dark. So Philippe himself is standing there waiting for it. He knows it's coming across, but he doesn't know where it is. So he does the obvious thing, what's it obviously what, what he's gonna do? He takes all his clothes off. Hold it, one minute. <laughs> Stay with me. He takes all his clothes off in order that he, he might be able to feel the wire on his skin. Lo and behold he does, it brushes on his, his leg. And he said that the, the, the arrow was actually perched on the top of right on the ledge, just like this. Anyway. Gets the somehow they managed after hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of getting this wire up, and obviously daylight's coming up now, they get the, the, the cable across, he's already tired, he's busted, and his dream is about to be accomplished. Everything that he's been driving towards, everything that he's been thinking about is about to be accomplished. As he steps out, let me add, with a smile on his face, 1,300 feet up in the air, steps out onto the wire, with no net, obviously, uh, just a long pole for balance. My man goes out there, he stays out there for 45 minutes, back and forth, he's walking back and forth, he's, he's lying down on the, on the thing, obviously there's great crowds, you can just see this dot, I can't even really see him too, 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 too clearly. But this guy's dream was fulfilled, he's, um, all that he was uh, working towards has, has come to this, uh, this point. Philip had decided that the fulfilment of this dream was of more value even in his own life. Now, why have I told you this story? Because I am Philip Pitti. No. Um, <laughs> so, seriously, because it has similarities, I don't you know, I wish, I'm not that bad. Um, it's got similarities, but also very uh, vast differences to two stories that Jesus told, two short stories that Jesus told. And that's in the uh, book of uh, Matthew. So the two parables that I'm referring to are found in Matthew's Gospel, which is probably written to a mainly Jewish audience. And its purpose, amongst other things, was to testify to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. The Messiah that they'd been waiting for, that their Old Testament had told them about, was, would one day come. Jesus was that very man. He was the anointed king, which is what, which is what Messiah means. And obviously, I'm sure you, you, you all know, back in, the, in, in these times, kings would, be, would have oil point poured over their head. And this would be signified that actually God has chosen this king or this priest for a particular mission. And there was one Messiah that was, that, that, that 
who is the Messiah of the Messiah, as it were, the anointed king, that God's chosen king, that the people were waiting for. And, and Matthew very much wants to, to let the Jews know that this is, this is he. So the Old Testament prophesied over 700 years before the birth of Jesus about the Messiah, who'd come and perform many miracles and bring everlasting salvation by bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. Matthew portrays Jesus as this Messiah, this chosen king, and this gospel says to the Jews and, and to all who will listen, stop looking. There's no point in looking anymore for my Messiah. There are Jews who are still waiting for the Messiah. And yet he's already come. The Jews knew their scriptures, didn't they? Back to front, they could be able to stand up here and quote books, particularly the Pharisees. They knew the scriptures, and yet there's a real danger in being... We can know God's word, can't we? We can know it, we can quote it and, and, and impress people with our knowledge of it, but actually it never actually penetrates our heart. Jesus said, isn't it, all these scriptures, you know them, but actually they do not realise they testify of me. So if, if, if our reading of the, the word doesn't lead us to a loving desire and relationship for Christ, then it's just, it's just knowledge, it's just information. And that, that was the case with these, so many of these guys. So here in chapter 30, Jesus tells us, a, tells us a series of parables to explain what the kingdom, we're going to get there guys, sorry, to explain what the kingdom of heaven is like. He's speaking to a large crowd on the seashore. A large crowd gathers, too large now, he can't speak to them because they're all around him, so he gets in a boat, goes out, and you know the acoustics on the water is great, so he goes out onto a boat so he can speak to them. And he's, he's, he's told that the, 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 these two parables are sandwiched in between two other parables that talk about the fact that actually in this world, which is God's kingdom, but within this world, there's a kingdom of dark and a kingdom of light. There are, there are Satan's seed and there's God's seed. And God allows them to grow together to a point, really in his mercy. He allows them to grow together, but one day he's going to judge. And those who are outside of the kingdom, those who are opposed to God, will be thrown into the lake of fire. Serious. Serious situations. Matthew 30, 44 to 46 of our verses. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one, one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. <coughs> These two parables belong together as they are communicating the same point, And that is that the, the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, is of supreme value. And no matter what you, no matter what it costs, it is more than worth it. No matter what sacrifice you make to attain it, it's more than worth it. So, back here, so picture a farmer ploughing the field, uh, and this field doesn't belong to him. All of a sudden, clunk, he goes up something, and I'm reminded of when I'm, I'm cutting the lawn, and I hit, 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 uh, hit something, and I'm thinking, oh no, is it, is it a stone? Have I, you know, have I broken the blade, or have I decapitated my son's Lego giraffe? Am I in serious trouble? What, what have I hit? You know, back to our farmer, he's, he stumbled across this thing, he goes around to have a look. It's a box. As he opens the box, he nearly falls down, his mouth is wide open, he can't believe his luck. Treasure. More treasure than he's ever seen in his life. He looks around to see if anybody can see. He covers it back over, puts some kind of something there that will help him to remember where it is. Goes home and joyfully 
grabs the iPad, he grabs, grabs, the iMac, grabs the iPhone, the keys to the Land Rover, keys to the house, he takes them all down to cash converters, wherever he would take them in that time, and he sells the lot without a, 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 a shudder of a thought, with absolute joy, knowing that what I'm doing here, what I'm, what I'm getting is so much more worth, worth so much more than what actually I'm, I'm getting rid of. He does it with joy. And then the next parable, we've got a, a businessman, a trader, whose job it is to find valuable things. That's his job. And in his search for pearls, he finds the pearl of all pearls. Think about it, if it was a diamond, this would be like a pink panther. He, he finds the pearl of all pearls, and so he realises the value of this pearl. And like the, the man in the first story, he sells everything. <laughs> sells everything he has so that he can own this one precious pearl. Now, the parables are not allegories, so they're not, it's not every little detail that is telling. There's, there's one main thrust, and like I said, it's the, it's the value of the kingdom. Now, we could literally spend a week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks talking about the different aspects of God's kingdom, but, but our focus today is uh, its value. And one way to think about the kingdom of heaven is a guy called Graham Goldsworthy who's um, given us a helpful way to think about the kingdom, and he says it's God's people under God's rule in God's place. So this way of understanding the kingdom is helpful, as I said. It's not, so it's not a case of, well, where do you live? Well, I live in the United Kingdom. If somebody thinks of a, a place, they don't think of the person who's, they might think of the queen, they might think of the queen. They don't necessarily think of being under the rule of that country. They just know, okay, you live, live uh, in the United Kingdom. But God's, when, when we think about kingdom in the Bible, we're thinking really about the kingship of God. Where does he rule? And in whom does he rule? If we're honest, we struggle with this idea, don't we? The fact that we are to be subject to rulers. When we think about kings, we struggle with this idea of being ruled. Especially living in this postmodern world that encourages autonomy. And that autonomy says, basically, I'm a law unto myself. I make up my own rules. I'm my own God. I'm my own king. And even, I think, even within the church, we struggle with this idea of being subject to a king, if we're honest. I do. I don't know about you guys. Maybe I'm alone here in this. You can pray for me afterwards. But I'm sure, hopefully there's some people that, 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 that realise what I'm saying and, and can relate to what I'm saying. Yet Psalm 24 says, Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Whether you know Christ or you don't know Christ, you just learned from the Bible. The Bible teaches that God owns everything, including you. Including you. In the same way you come to my house, there's stuff in my house, I have the right to do what I want with those things in my house, don't I, to a point. God has absolute right. He created the earth that we live in. He created our, our lives. He's our creator. And so he has the right to rule. It's important, it's a simple thing that people might, might not think about, but he does actually have the right to rule. He's not like an evil dictator who just comes in like a bully in the playground and, and starts ruling. He doesn't have the right to do that. God has the right to, to, to rule. Now, this could sound like a scary thing, especially as we look at history with so many rulers that have taken advantage of power and abused them. But John said in chapter 3 of, of Matthew, repent, that is, turn around, change, have a change in thinking. So the kingdom of heaven is at hand, speaking about Jesus. John is warning people that they need to stop living for themselves, stop being their own king, 
which is going to lead ultimately to destruction, and turn to God's chosen King, God's Messiah, who's going to bring life. Life with Jesus as King is more precious than anything. He brings us back to our original purpose, which is to glorify God. It's the chief end of man, isn't it? Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Make the most of God. Live for God. Praise Him with our mouth and with our life, with our actions. Live for Him as our God and our King. Let's just think about some of the benefits of being in this kingdom. Or being under this king, shall I say also. So God's kingdom has real value for this life. King Jesus provides, and we sang it in one of the songs, a beautiful time of praise and worship. Some of those songs that we really need to take them back and, and, and um, teach them to our congregation to the blessing. So King Jesus provides forgiveness of sins. He provides forgiveness of sins. I don't know about you guys, do you remember what it was like to feel the weight of your sin? Maybe some of you in here today have not entered into a relationship with Christ, have not had your sins forgiven, maybe you still are very aware of what it's like. I can remember what it was like to feel the weight of sin and guilt, how that was a burden in my life. As much as I put a brave face on and smile and, and everybody thought my life was okay, actually, when I was laying on my bed at night time, I was very aware of the sin that I committed, the things that I'd done that I couldn't erase. I'd lied and stolen things. I'd hated people. I'd hated one family to the point where I actually got money together to go and actually murder, have that family murdered. I'm ashamed to say that. But these were the, this, that, that was where, that's how, how dark my heart was. That's how. Um, off key I was I mean and, and you, do, you, 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 you we don't do these things we don't sin without consequence do we? we've got a conscience that says actually it's God given it says don't do that that's wrong and then when we when we go against that conscience we pay the price maybe not outwardly but we pay the price by we're now, we're now, we're now guilty so God brings forgiveness relationship in the kingdom with, with, with God's king we, we are forgiven maybe that's I mean, that, that is good news for some today who may be hearing that for the first time or being reminded of it, that you can be forgiven no matter what you've done. You can be forgiven. And ultimately, as much as we may need people's forgiveness, we ultimately need God's forgiveness, don't we? Because we all sin against Him. He's God. He's righteous. He's the only one without sin. We belong to Him. But God's kingdom also brings peace. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, and have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. As members of God's kingdom, we're no longer in beef with God. We're no longer in, in, in we're no longer His enemies. Actually, I mean, if if there's one enemy you you don't want to have, it's God, isn't it? If the whole world is against you, but God is for you, it's all good. If God is against you and the whole world is for you, you're in trouble. It's true. But we we have peace with God. Jesus has secured peace with God. So this peace is a, a, a tangible reality for us as, as Christians. So as Christians, we have no need to fear God's judgment, do we? We can come boldly before the throne of grace, like, like Elijah. You know, he wouldn't. He, he, if he was here now, he wouldn't feel nowhere. My little son to come running up to you wouldn't be thinking, "Oh, I can't go up there because Daddy's going to be upset." He knows he can come freely to me, and we have that same same blessing that we can come freely to God because we've been forgiven. Because we have, we're now at peace with God. He's on our side. The fact is, we don't have to fear God's anger anymore. 
prior to that, it was a case of where we're, we're crying out to God and, 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 and all that is before us, all that's between us and God, as, as unbelievers, is our sin. And so he points us to the cross. There's my son. Other beyond that, there's no, it's not that God answers our prayers in that sense. All, all of his action is pointing us to the son. Our sin is ever before us. Another benefit that we have is purpose. I was thinking about this as I was coming in. It's true, isn't it? That how important it is to have purpose. What, you know, when people end up ending their lives prematurely because they feel that what's the, what's the point in my life? My life has no purpose to it. Imagine a brand new Bentley designed. It's a pretty, it's a male. It's a real man's kind of illustration. So, um, designed, designed to provide an amazing driving experience. But well, it's a car, in case of anybody. So, um, it's, a, it's designed to make, provide an amazing uh, driving experience and to carry people from one place to, to another in style. And I've never been in a Bentley, but I, I've seen it. I've, I've seen it. It looks very stylish. Um, and I don't desire to have a Bentley. I'm just using it as an illustration. Um, but then imagine me buying that fresh from the showroom and driving it to a, a muddy field, like a quagmire, that's kind of half water and half, half mud, parking it there, getting up, chucking the keys, filling it with soil, and just leaving it to grow weeds. What a waste. What a waste that would be. It's not designed for that. It's been designed for a purpose, and I'm not using it. We too have been designed for a purpose, haven't we? What a waste our lives are until we meet Jesus, and we find that actually, I, I made you for a purpose. I made you to glorify me. I made you to enjoy me forever. A huge benefit is the power that we now have to overcome sin. We don't have to sin. Now we know that we still sin, we still struggle, we're still in this world. But we no longer are slaves to sin, as the Bible teaches us, isn't it? That before I was a believer, before God's Spirit came and dwelt in me, I had no, in many ways, I was, my natural bent was to sin. In the same way with my son, I have to teach my son, he's only 15 months, I have to teach him not to touch the Xbox. I have to teach him not to pour water on the laptop. Um, I have to teach him not to put car keys down the drain. I have to teach him those things. Um, and he knows he's doing it. He'll look, he'll turn and look at me and do it and smile. He knows what he's doing. So, we as Christians should be able to say, yes, I'm experiencing victory over sin. There's a clear difference between my life before Christ and now. And that is evidence of God's Spirit living in me, because in my own strength we know we fail, don't we? We can't do it. But now we have a power that is outside of us, that's bigger than us, that's that same power that parted the Red Sea, hovered over the, the, the earth when it was in the beginning of creation, and then went ahead and was the active ingredient, as it, as it were, of the Father's command. That same power now dwells within us to overcome sin. That means I don't need to keep looking at girls. I don't, I don't need to go on the internet, I don't need to steal, I don't need to be jealous of, actually, all these, I, as, I, as I pray and read God's word, I'm, my, my mind is washed and I'm, I'm praying for God for strength to overcome these things, I'm beginning to see victory in my life, and hopefully that's the case for many of you in here. There's, there's a, a guy who's um, been at our church, I think, probably about two or three months, and uh, he was a, a crack addict. Um, and he had uh, been in and out of kind of rehabs and they'd worked for a little while and then you know, ended up back on the street doing the same things again and 
he was given at one point, um, his mum and dad died and there was an inheritance of 150,000 pounds, 75,000 for him, 75,000 for his brother. His brother went to Australia and bought 75 acres of land, and that a good investment to me. Um, and he decided to spend, he spent 35,000 pounds on crack and then 40,000 trying to go to, to rehab and trying to sort the situation, situation out and, and yet with no real change. I mean, um, he was living in a graveyard, literally sleeping sleep in a graveyard and came to church and was able to point him in, in, in the right direction. And, um, now he's now living with a brother at our church and this guy is just... He's been clean, I think, now for about six weeks. He just looks like a different person. He smells like a different person. He behaves like a different person. Um, and he's just loving God's word. And he, he's talking about the fact, we, we, were, we were in, in community group talking about the fact that God's word is, is nourishment to us. It's food for us. And he was saying, yeah, that's what I'm at. I'm living that. That's what's happening now. I'm reading every day. I'm praying every day. And I'm, my life is changing. And, and just recently, I was so elated and over, overjoyed. There's a, a pastor up in... Um, Scotland, who um, is, is, is on a council estate, and they basically said he's got a place for him if he wants it in like this uh, Christian rehab, and they're going to plug him into a church, and it's going to be like intense discipleship. And he's just like over the moon. I mean, and he's like a little boy. He said, "Mark, I'm just in awe of God. That's what God does, and He brings real change. Life in the kingdom is good." Now, I'm sure that some of you are thinking, "Well, when I look around, actually, it doesn't really look like talk about God being king, God being." Um, Jesus being uh, God's king and um, I know Matthew 28 talks about him having all authority in heaven and earth really not in my street not in my house not, in my, not, not, not where I live and really not even in my life maybe but we must remember that the kingdom of God is now and not yet so we see some, we see some of the benefits of it, of it now but we're still in a fallen world aren't we God's absolutely sovereign over everything right now all authority has been given to Jesus, in earth, in heaven and in earth. We as Christians have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, but not in a complete sense. So, you know, Romans talks about um, our, our salvation. Are you saved? Yes, I'm saved. I've put my faith in Jesus. I've been justified. It's just as if I never sinned. I've been made right with God. And yet, there's still sin. I, mean, I don't sin as much as I did because I'm, I'm trusting in God, I'm trusting in His Word. And, dependent on his spirit but I'm still in this world I'm still in this body of, this body of flesh I'm being sanctified so I'm being saved and then yet I'm yet to be saved where the Bible talks about us being glorified how that can be is, is beyond me so it's not in a complete sense not until our king comes back so remember Saul and David I mean um, Saul was king uh, at the time, and um, God had uh, anointed David to be his chosen king. God, no, David was always going to be God's choice. Saul was the, 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 the choice of the people. You know, he looked good, he looked tall, he looked strong, he looked buff. He looked like, yeah, that's the guy that we want to have. And actually, he was a coward. I mean, he wasn't, God's, he wasn't after God's heart. He actually feared men rather than fearing God. And so he's been dethroned, but he's still on the throne. David's been anointed as king, and yet you don't see the actual realization of that for some time and it's a, bit, it's, a, it's a little bit like that with Jesus in the sense that he's, we don't see him ruling and reigning in a way that we would expect yet we don't see the reality of that but time is coming when we will see that 
So although it seems like the wicked are prospering and evil is prevailing, actually all who are not in God's kingdom are going to perish, aren't they? And that's why we should, that should break our hearts. As believers, as those who are in the kingdom, it's not like, oh yeah, we're in, you're outside, or whatever, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm safe, I'm nice. I mean, if things are nice in here, that's the danger, isn't it? We can be, we can, we can um, love church, and we should love church, and we can love fellowship, and we should love fellowship, but also we need to love those who are in the position that we were in, you know, and, and who need the gospel. And, stuff. and I know that's Pastor Anthony's heart, and the evidence of that. I don't think he's real. Is he actually human? How do, I don't know how he does what he does. Honestly, I'm, I'm, I've said that many, many times. How does he and still stay, stay sane and smiling and laughing? Obviously, yeah, it's probably because we've got land on his side. That's what it is. <laughs> Figured it out. It took me to come here to realise it. That's what it is. No, he's got Jesus. Amen. Uh, so first, and then. Yeah, all who are in God's kingdom are, not, are, are going to perish. And so verse 43 says, though for those who are in the kingdom, this is encouragement, isn't it? Verse 43, back um, in chapter 13, says that they're going to shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. The future ain't orange, but it is bright for those who are in the kingdom. But in the meantime, though, we wrestle with sin, don't we? We have to live in a world that's opposed to God, and his rule. And therefore, as believers, we're going to be faithful to God's word. We're actually going to really be Christians. That means we're really going to read his word. We're really going to tell others about him. Um, we're going to speak the truth in love. We're going to want to witness to people. We're going to tell them actually to realize that you're outside the kingdom at the moment. In many ways, we're going to have opposition, aren't we, as Christians? So we don't experience the um, fullness of this yet. Matthew 24, 30 says, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man, Son of Man speaking of Jesus, Daniel mentioned the Son of Man, didn't he? Speaking of Jesus, coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. This is the point where it's not a case of, oh, is Jesus ruling and reigning? Everyone's going to know. It's going to be very evident. With power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect. Those who are in the kingdom. Those who are his children. Those who are his, the ones who put their trust and their faith in him. From the four winds. From one end of heaven to the other. So no matter what your, your eschatology is or your view of end time. One thing that we all agree on. That is certain is Jesus is coming back. Now, even as I say that in your heart, probably for a lot of you, like, okay, yeah, but that kind of sounds like a film. I mean, like, Arnie Schwarzenegger said it, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> we know but this is, why we, this is why we need to be in the scriptures, isn't it? To be constantly reminded of the truth, because we, we, we forget and we, we, we struggle to believe stuff that's not really tangible. So I, I pray to Jesus, I can't actually see him yet. It's, but it's a walk of faith, which is why we need. Fellowship. We need to encourage one another of the truth. We need, I need to be in my Bible, being reminded constantly, yes, Lord, this is true. Whatsoever things are true, let me dwell on these things. Because every day I'm being pumped and, and, and taught and, and, and sold a lie. So I need to be daily washing my mind with this word, reminding myself. And even as I've done that, it's time to just get excited. I say, yes, Lord, it's true, you're coming back. You are coming back. You've not left us alone. 
You are the king of all kings and you're coming back and you're going to bring me where you are. That, that's, that's rock solid. So, but there's also a future hope and, 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 and there's eternal benefits. Remember that I said at the beginning uh, that the story about Philippe and Steve was similar but different. Well, it was similar in that Philippe made great sacrifices to have what he saw was valuable. And so did the two men in the parable, didn't they? They sold everything. There's a similarity. But they, they didn't take a risk. He took a risk, didn't he? Clearly, a crazy risk. In my opinion, it wasn't worth taking for the sake of art. Mean, or he kind of considers himself as a bit of a, a rebel. And so the, the, the illegal aspect of it was quite I mean, um, appealing to him. But ultimately, imagine if he just dropped and dead and his whole family's mashed up now. Thank the Lord he didn't. He's still alive. So pray for him. Pray that he doesn't, doesn't, I think he's an atheist, but pray for him. But he took a risk. There's the vast difference. The, 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 the guys in this parable, they're not taking, there's no, no element of risk here. It's not a case of like, okay, here's all my stuff. Uh, I got a bit excited there about that um, treasure. All my stuff. Like me and TK Maxx, I've got 10 things that are reduced, and I'm like, oh, which one has got a bigger reduction to it? And I'm, I can, literally, I can be there for hours. Pray for me, please. <laughs> I can be there for hours. Which one's. There's none of that here. There's none of that, there's none of that with us as believers. There's no risk. It's rock solid. So in the big picture, there was no there was no eternal value to him walking on the wire, Philippe. He will still go to hell if he doesn't turn to Christ. If he doesn't make the most of God's grace and run to Jesus. Wherever all who make sacrifices now for Jesus, and let's be honest, we we salvation is a free gift in a, in a sense that we can do nothing to earn it. But in being a Christian, there are things that we have to deny ourselves now, aren't there? In the same way that Jesus suffered first and he was glorified later, he set a pattern for us as believers. There will be suffering as believers, but we will be glorified. The end is good. So it's not a gamble, but a certain fact that our future is secure. If you're here today having put your trust in Jesus, then you're not like Philippe stepping out on the wire. I mean, he, wasn't, he was smiling, this guy's insane. But you're not like him stepping out on a wire taking a huge risk. You've made the best decision of your life. You step out not on a wire, but on a rock solid foundation that is Christ Himself. If I'm honest, I have never regretted giving my life to Christ. I've struggled at times to have faith, but I've never, never, never been a point where I'm like, wonderful children, you've healed my relationships, you've given me a hope, a future. No, I've never, I've never done that. I, don't do that. I, look back, I look back and say, actually, Lord, I'm ashamed of my past and you are so good. Thank you for choosing me. Thank you for bringing me into your kingdom. And I could, I'm not just, we're laughing about this, it's the truth. It's the truth, and we need to tell people more about that, don't we? About the, 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 just the reality of what it is to be a Christian. Yeah. We need to tell them about the struggles, absolutely, but also we need to tell them, you know what? My life has never been the same. I have true joy. I have true peace with God. That's the reality now. I didn't have that before. 
um, experiencing a relationship with God. And if, if you think about it, anything that's, you know, we live in a world so full of salesmen, and, and it frustrates me because I think often you've got the truth and, and you, you don't want to come across like a salesman, but you're aware that people are like, okay, yeah, this is, this is one, one truth amongst, amongst, amongst many. I mean, there's lots out there, so I can kind of pick and choose, and you, you, you don't want to be forceful. Um, but it's true, and we need to uh, tell others about it. My life has never been the same. And the longer that I walk with Jesus, am I less convinced? No. Not at all. I am more convinced that this word is God's word, that it's true, that Jesus is the king, and that my future is secure. I can say that, Lord, strike me dead if that's not the case. I'm more convinced. Now, if something is fake and not real, the more you investigate it, little holes begin to, and you realise, actually, this sounds good, but it doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work in practice. Trusting God doesn't actually work in my life. And yet, I know I'm not alone in being able to say, it does work. Relationship with God does work. Relationship with God does bring fruit. So the benefits continue beyond this life into eternity. Jim Elliot was a missionary to, I think it's the Wayadini Indians in Ecuador. In 1956, he said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Now you need to, be, to, to remember the fact that we're, as, as Christians, although the world, to the world, we're foolish, aren't we? We're weak. We, we serve a weak God. He died on the cross. He's talking about what kind of God is that? What kind of king is that? And he rose again. And he sits right now at the hand of power. He saw the value in the kingdom that is Jim Elliot and the spreading of the gospel to the point where he joyfully gave up his life for Jesus. Matthew 16, 24-26 says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? True life is found in actually laying down your life and gaining true life from the one who created life. That is Jesus. And it's, it's, it's difficult because obviously until you've made that step, you can't really understand that and see that. It's difficult to see it from the other side. Okay, that sounds great, laying down my life. But once you, once you make that step, like I said before, you, you, you put your faith in God and you, and you decide, okay, Lord, I no longer want to be my own king. I don't want to, I don't want to be ruler of my life because I've made a train wreck of it. And actually, if I'm honest, everybody around me doing the same situations, even those who look like they're doing really well, actually, when I speak to them in, in, in private, they're in trouble. I mean, because they weren't designed, they weren't made to be their own God. They weren't made to be their own king. Their very life is evidence of that fact. My life was evidence of that fact. <coughs> The Bible teaches us in Philippians that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. So even when we're, we're, we're out there, we're, we're speaking to atheists or those who are quite aggressive about their stance and their position, those who, who hate Jesus, it's good to be reminded that actually everyone, all of us, even then, Richard Dawkins, all of them, they're all going to bow the knee and confess that Jesus is Lord. I can say, sorry, So life in God's kingdom is a life that is abundant, both now and forever. It's a full life, isn't it? 
Can I get any witnesses at all? Come on, I'm not just saying this for, for fun. The, the, the life in Christ is abundant. It is full. It's not a life that at the end is going to leave you full of regrets, like I mentioned. Where it's chasing fashion or chasing um, living for, for good looks or, or men's appeal or men's applause. You're going to end up, if those things can't, can't provide salvation for you, and ultimately, they can't, they're not going to make you content. I mean, no matter what we search. You think about, if you want to know what, if, if there are things in your life that you desire, and that you think, actually, this maybe this is really going to be a benefit, read what, Saul, what uh, Solomon says about life. He, richest man on earth, no, no person ever going to be as rich as he was. Tried everything. And at the end of it, he said, actually, you know what, the whole, I've realised that the purpose of life is fear God and keep his commands. The purpose of life is that he would be my king and that I'd obey him. Then I'm going to find contentment. Then I'm going to find fulfilment. So what's value in the kingdom going to look like in practice? Am I doing for time? Cool. Um, what do you consider to be more valuable than life with King Jesus? I'll leave that question you for a second. When you're really being honest with yourself, what do you consider to be more valuable? Whatever it is, it's not going to bring you lasting joy. I get the privilege of being able to, sh- to, to say that to you um, and, and to remind myself of that as well. It's not going to bring you eternal life. It's not going to bring salvation or contentment. Whatever we allow to stop us from having, really, ultimately, what we're talking about, we're talking about a relationship with Jesus. That's. Uh, He's the king, and being part of his kingdom, what does that really, really mean? What's the, what's the real benefit to it? Well, actually, I get to have him as my king. I get to have him as the one who will guide my life, as the one who will rule my life, and who will rule it well, who has got my best interest at heart all the time, who loves me. To value the kingdom is uh, more than anything else, as I said, is really to love the king. And it's to love his rule. And to realise that he is, just keep just kind of meditating on this fact that actually he is the treasure. Isn't it? Isn't it a relationship with him? Even as much as the Lord has blessed me beyond belief, as I say, with a beautiful wife, my wife at the back, Topher. Hello, Topher. And, and beautiful sons, uh, and a daughter, and a loving family, and a loving church family. Um, ultimately, he is. The prize, my relationship with him, the fact that I can speak to him whenever I want, the fact that I can rely on him, the fact that he loves me, that he's there for me, that, as I said, all, all of his commands are good for me. He's righteous and perfect. He's the prize. Relationship. When, when we get to what, what ultimately we're aiming for, ultimately we're going to be with God forever. Back to the garden. What was, what was, what was the... The, the, the special thing about the Garden of Eden was that God was there. His presence was there. And now he comes and says, you know what, I will come and live in you and give you real life and bring about real change in your life and give you purpose. So as members of the global and local church, we get to actively serve each other and to serve this broken world, don't we? All for the King's pleasure. And like I said, I am genuinely proper chuffed as I look around and see life in this place, see God blessing this fellowship. It's, I mean, it's not a surprise to me. I think wherever you have a, a faithful man or a faithful group of people, 
men who say, Lord, here I am, use me, then you're going to see blessing. You're going to see growth. And that's what you guys are experiencing here. I know, I know these guys have got a, a huge heart um, for Camden. It's been a, a real example for us, actually. You know, it's, it's often like if somebody comes in from the outside, they can kind of put you to shame by the, the, the just in, in that. One, they know more of the places that you know, um, even though they, they, they live somewhere else. But also, they, 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 I suppose they've got a fresh view on things. We can you know, become kind of despondent, thinking, oh, dear Lord, I know you're mighty and powerful, but London's is finished, it's over, it's Sodom and Gomorrah, there's no chance here, there's no hope here. Um, and yet, it takes somebody else to come in and say, you know what, there's, there's, there's so much potential here. I mean, so we've been at, at South and really blessed as, as Pastor Anton and the group have come and just seen their passion and their heart the desire to, to disciple and to share the gospel. Um, anyway, so our career choices also is going to reflect God's ownership, isn't it? Being, we're thinking about practically now, it's going to reflect God's ownership, being prayerful to have a job that helps us to put Jesus first. So if I'm, if I'm going for a job that actually where I have to, I'm determined I have to work on Sunday, I've got some choices to make. It's going to, it's going to take me away from fellowship. Or obviously, if it's a job that's not edifying in any way, shape, shape or form, then I have to make that practical choice. Lord, what are you saying to me? Lord, what do you want to do in this situation? Because I want to be obedient to you. I want you to be my king. I want you to rule my decisions. Our priorities will be to invest in God's kingdom through the study of his word and the sharing of it with others while praying for God to open blind eyes. I'm going to bring my desires, we'll bring our desires in line with those of the king, won't we? So I've had a desire for a long time. It's not a desire anymore. After the Lord has spoken to me clearly about it and said, Mark, my grace is sufficient for you. you you're not going to have a sports car. It's a midlife crisis. I, uh, for the last, yeah, probably the last five, five or so years, I had to decide, not an expensive one, maybe a second-hand kind of sports car. Just me and I even tried to sell it to my wife. Honey, you know, we could just use it on the weekends. Imagine driving down country lanes. I mean, but the reality is that, you know, I'm a family man. Um, we've got a car already. We're, we're just about putting petrol in that. We, 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 we can't afford it. It's not practical. I mean, that's, that's a, it's a very practical thing, but before I knew God, before I knew his word, before I knew what my purpose was as a husband, um, that would have, wouldn't have been a, you know, it would have been no choice. I would go out and just make a decision on my own. Now I realise actually I'm, I'm married to my wife. And we're, we're, we are a, a partnership, we're a team. And I have a ministry to serve her as Jesus served the church serve my family and to put their needs I, got, I, I get to be to follow Jesus' example which is perfect he's a perfect man isn't he he takes responsibility for others he takes responsibility for our sin it's not his I get to follow him so even in, that, in those, those finer details I, I surrender and you know, the Lord allowed me to have my little fantasy for me I look on the internet and the traders you know, knowing, knowing that he's going to say, "Look, son, it's not, it's not, it's not going to happen." Uh, but even in that, it's not like, "Oh, Lord, Lord it's not going to happen." It's, it's actually, like, "Oh, okay, Lord, you know, you are, you are wise." I was just, I was just trying to think. I mean, so he is God's chosen king, and only in His kingdom, only His kingdom, sorry, is eternal. So surrender to Him. That's my plea to you today. Oh, maybe, maybe everybody has surrendered here. Maybe some haven't. Surrender to him today because he's a good king. He's the king of all kings. And begin to experience life to the full. Make Jesus your supreme pleasure and trust me, you will never regret it. Shall we pray?
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the King. We thank you for King Jesus, the Messiah, the one that you chose and who was uh, willing to come and to bring the kingdom of God. Otherwise, Lord, we would be lost. There would be no hope. We'd have no purpose, Lord. There'd be no peace for us. Lord, my heart really is that beyond even all that's been said today, Lord, that you would take your word, Lord, and that you would cause it to take root in our hearts. Lord, we don't want to be religious. We don't want to just go through the motions. We don't want to play Christianity, Lord. We don't want to just sing some hymns and read your word and just uh, something that we do every week. Lord, we truly want to be changed. Lord, we truly want to be more like you. Lord, we want to be more surrendered to you. That's been my prayer even for this congregation before I met them, Lord, is that they would be more surrendered to you. That if there are areas in their life, in my life, that we're holding back on, that we're not wanting to allow you to rule in, Lord, would you help us to humble ourselves and to allow you to rule and to trust you to rule. And Father, we pray that you continue to add to this congregation, Lord, that you would continue to grow and develop each and every person here. Thank you so much for Pastor Anthony. Thank you for that man, Lord. Thank you for the vision that you've given him. Thank you for his heart. Thank you for his willingness to serve you and for Landon and for all the guys, for all of the families who made a choice to come here, trusting in you, being directed by you. We thank you for them. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to encourage them, Lord, that they have not taken a risk, Lord, but they are stepping out onto a sure foundation, which is Christ, Lord, that they're being obedient to you. And Father, we look forward to hearing the continued reports of your fruitfulness at work here in this place. Draw many, Lord. Reach out to many in this area. Many who are lost, but many who are looking for, for hope, looking for direction. Have your way, Lord. Be glorified. In Jesus' name. Amen.